group discussion and Q&A. So before, well, we'll take up a question that um, Gabriel has asked. Was everyone here on the Sunday's class? We discussed um, the Punas. Yeah, everyone was there. So Gabriel's asked a question. Um, Gabriel, would you like to ask again, please? even though I posted it. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so my question was, how do we distinguish between uh, rajasic renunciation and the lack of ability or capability to perform a certain action? And the example that I had in mind uh, was sort of something like a student who keeps failing exams uh, and then they give up, um, whether that's actually uh, the lack of ability or capability, or whether that's actually a logistic pronunciation. Okay, great. Good question. So, does everyone understand the question? Are there any clarifications to the question so that you understand it clearly? What he's asking. It's important that we understand the question before we answer it, or before you answer it. Does everyone understand what he's asking? First of all, what is logistic pronunciation? Giving up. Sorry, giving up. Rajasic renunciation. Yeah. What is it? Giving up too quickly. Giving up too quickly. Okay. Any other additions to that? Giving up something because it's too difficult. Too difficult. That's right. Any other? Why is it difficult? Because it. Why is it difficult? Because it's not understood well. It's not understood well. Okay. Oh, causes pain and distress. Pain and distress. You give up because it causes pain and distress. Okay. So you give up something because it causes you pain and distress. So this is rajasic renunciation. Is it, is it really renunciation though? Pronunciation. This is the question. So, it, sorry. Yeah, go on. Okay. I was saying, would it depend when you give up at what stage? Um, it's like um, learning to drive a car. You could have, a, you know, um, twenty tests. That not telling you something that you're going against the grain of your fastener and whatever's embedded in you, you're going against the grain. You're going against it. Then, if you give up soon, you'll probably identify that it's not in you. Okay. Any other thoughts? Logistic renunciation. Giving up, the, so far we had 
giving up because it's painful, um, giving up because you're not developed enough. Um, so you're giving up out of fear. Mm -hmm. And so because, because fear is attached to the motive, it's not coming from the higher perspective, which we've probably said anyway, but yeah. Very good. It's just that we're just discussing it so everyone under, gets the clarity. So, um, what is sattvic renunciation? What is the uh, difference between sattvic and, and uh, rajasic? Then? What is sattvic renunciation? Joshna Benthi, you should know this now. Sattvic. <laughs> Yeah, Bharti. Yeah, um, could it is sattvic is actually not giving up on anything. It's giving up on um, the fruit of the action. But um, is 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 rajasic? Is it more like shying away from your duties? Isn't it? It's almost um, yeah. not doing something that you don't want to do and giving it a name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, let me see my notes. So only sattvic renunciation is true renunciation in that sense. The other two are not. Yeah, but they're explained as renunciation, but not renunciation at all. The benefit of renunciation is the result is much better. You're doing obligatory duties. And it's the, the emphasis is that you want to reach a higher state in life. You know the value of something and then you give up because you want to reach a higher state. And you enjoy the fruits of renunciation. So for the effort you're putting in, there is a reward. First of all, the action is much more concentrated. It's much more better. You're acting on the job that you're doing. It's a lot more, uh, you're 100% focused on it. The therefore, the results are a lot better because mentally you're focused. You're putting, you know, no distractions. And thirdly, you're doing your obligatory duty. So therefore, you're reducing your desires without creating new ones. So you see the advantage of sattvic renunciation. It's a win-win-win situation. And, and you're doing it backed by knowledge. This is how I need to act. And I'm gonna act this way because these are the results and these are the benefits of acting this way. Hmm? Is that quite clear? That's sattvic renunciation backed by Knowledge, understanding, and doing what you need to do. So, rajasic renunciation is not giving up at all. You're giving up because it's painful. It's false renunciation. It's hard work. So, Kevo, your question. The question you asked. The difference between logistic renunciation and someone giving up 
uh, someone um, not being not capable of doing what he needs to do. He's not got the capacity. So what do you think the answer is then to that? What is the answer to that? I'm going to, before we uh, do that, I'm going to read you. Because in the Bhagavad Gita, it's got a bit more in detail. Yeah. So it's for your reference sake, it's uh, chapter 18. Uh, verse seven. Where about oh, here we go. Chapter eighteen, verse eight. So it says, "Indeed, he who relinquish actions, indeed who he who relinquishes action that is painful from fear of bodily trouble, thus performing rajasic yaga relinquishment, he does not obtain the fruit of relinquishment." So that's a direct. Um, um, translation of the verse. I'm not going to read the Sanskrit verse. So it says, you give it up, you give up action because of fear of bodily pain. Dukkha, it creates dukkha, pain. It's troublesome to your body or your mind. The first cause, first cause pertains to the physical body when a person does not want to act out of laziness or finds action tiresome, painful. He relinquishes the action through unwillingness to exert or suffer physical trouble. It's not rajasic tyaga. Or he may give up because of mental problems, mental strain. So that is what it is. So as far as um, your clarification is concerned, the student gives up after failing exams two or three times. He then says, I'm giving up this field and decides to take another field. But rather than admitting he's not good enough, he says he has given up because he no longer wants to go on that path. And then he relinquishes. So that's not true renunciation. If he admits I'm not made for this path, these exams are too difficult for me, I need to find something else that is easier for my capacity. Then he's doing that out of reasoning, thinking. See, see the difference? Yeah. Any, Kel, any clarifications? Yeah, so, so uh, basically what we're saying is this, there are two independent sort of uh, things. Um, not having the capacity, well, you need to have the intellect to understand that you don't have the capacity. Yeah. Um, and if you are having logistic renunciation, is more about having the capacity, but still giving up because you're too lazy or you're too, or it's too painful or, or, or whatever. He, he may not have the capacity, but he can't admit it. Yeah. And so okay. then he says, I'm giving this up. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's okay. Is there any clarifications to that, Ravi? I'm more, no, I mean, I don't know if it's clarification, but more to say, like, um, for example, with myself, obviously, through my career and through my ventures, I've tried certain things where I thought, okay, I'll give it a go, and it hasn't worked out, but within, it strained me a lot to go through that journey. But I went through it, I will say, more 
uh, as Carol said, is not having the knowledge to understand that it's not in your brain, it's not your capability. But to a certain degree, you have to go through that through that journey to realize where you where you end up effectively. So it, but it's also knowing when to really say, well, this is not me, and then conclude and move to where your nature sits well. Yeah. So, so what, what, is the, what is the main key that comes into it? What stops you from admitting? Your ego. Your ego. Your concern about what others would say. Yeah, your ego. That's what stops us. Be true to yourself. That's the main message. Be true to yourself. Everyone, everyone has a role to play in this world. You've just chosen a role that isn't suitable for you. That's all. There's nothing to be uh, egoistic about. There's some things that you can do what other people can't do. <coughs> Aniket Patel, Sano has a question. Yeah. On this. Good evening. So how many times do you have to fail at something before realizing that's not your path or that you're not good enough for that? Okay. Who would like to answer Sonal in the group? Dharmesh. Only you can answer that question because at the time, you know what you can and can't do. And it's your ego that stops you from deciding, quite simply. You can have a go, like my mom decided to drive driving test. She did it five times. Does that mean that she should have stopped us three times? No. She wanted to do it, so she succeeded. She wanted to give up, carry on. But if she had done 10 tests, she may have given up, realizing she's not capable. But it's yourself who decides. Anybody else? Yep, so I would like to, um, I'm just going to turn the light on. Um, so I would say that when, when you choose that activity that you have chosen, is it chosen because you've thought about whether it's just a desire? Because, for example, I might choose to think I want to become a dressmaker. Yeah. But the reality is I can just about sew a button. Um, so therefore, have I assessed myself properly to know that actually is it within my capacity to do what it is that I'm choosing to do? And if it isn't within my capacity, am I willing and able to put in the hard work required to give it a full go? Because we can all say we want to do things, but it's, it's assessing whether it's within our capacity, whether actually it's just a whim of a fancy, or whether we've always had a desire for it really. And I think that might enable you to think because if you keep going back to the same thought year after year 
any opportunity you get, you go back to it, you go back to it. You've kind of got to know what your interests are, what you're more inclined to do, where your strengths are. And then once you're passionate, we know that whenever we're more passionate about doing something, we're more likely to give it success than if it's just on a woman of fancy because our best friend's doing it and they've made it out of it. So therefore, I don't know, it's just a thought. So the key here is what? What's the key? Settle mentioned a few different things. What is the key? The desire. Passion. Passion. Desire. Desire. What else? One key. Just nothing. Assess Perfect. yourself first. You have to assess yourself. Am I capable of doing this? Do I have the capacity to do this? Yeah. Um, are you, is your nature inclined to this? Then, yeah. then if, if, you, if you have assessed and you, and you feel that, yes, I am made for this, then you would attempt to do it. And also you need to have the intellectual understanding that I could fail or I could succeed. Either way, you shouldn't be, either way, you should still be balanced. And because you failed, that shouldn't demoralize you. You should understand that this wasn't my path. That's how you, that's how you deal with these things. No one's stopping you from trying anything. But you need to assess yourself. This is what we're studying subject it's all to do with who we are how we function and uh, what we're made up of yes thank you welcome anybody would like to add anything to that Ravi. um through the journey as well it's what it's taking away what you learned where you may have thought you're failing but it's taking that away and reinventing yourself or actually being in line with yourself. So not kicking yourself too much about it and taking it as a positive experience than a negative one. True, mm, sure. absolutely. It's constant assessment. It's a constant. You are not the same person you were 10 years ago. You're not the same person you were 20 years ago. So we all need to have a constant assessment. Because we're always changing. We're changing, the world's changing, our desires are changing. And the desire you, you may have had when you were 12, and now you're 40, and you think, yes, I'd like to do that because I had a desire. I mean, you may not be, you know, you have to think, well, do I still need to do this? I still have desires to do, for, to do some things. <laughs> assessment. But how do you then guide children? So for example, when children come to secondary school, they've got to pick their options and they've got to do GCSEs and they've got to do, pick all of these things at such a young age when they haven't experienced enough. And then when children fail exams, because I, I was taught when, when you fail, it's your first attempt in learning. So it's not to give up at the first hurdle. No. But like for example, there's your English in your maths exams. Yeah, 
if you don't have those at GCSE level, you can't go to university. I'm not sure if they've changed the system now, but it's so you had to keep doing that yeah. until you've passed it. So how do you then, as a child, it's how many different paths, how many different paths do you take or when do you know as you're going through your education system when it's time actually, you know, I've studied my whole life for this, but this is not me now I've got to change course or change path. Mm. So it's how, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that group? How do you deal with that? So my son had to pick his GCSEs. So the only one who knows what he wants to do or what he likes is it himself and what he has passion for. So it's hard for me to say what, what's good and what's bad for him. We, we can guide him. But at the end of the day, he's the one who's going to do him. So he's going to have to learn from his mistakes or or mistakes or let another word his successes you can't tell him what he's going to be you can guide and the days for him to learn yeah anyone else Ruby. it's um as you said if you're advising children it's one as a parent, you've observed them obviously growing up from birth. Also from a school perspective, you've had um, feedback from teachers and reports and so forth. And the advice would be work towards your strengths. I mean, I mean, not to use, but I mean, in an Asian environment, it's doctor, engineer, computer, scientist, and that's what you shove them down, to be honest. But if they're creative and so forth, it's, it's advising them, it's being more of a council than a person who dictates. So I would say it's, it's advising to say work towards your strength and looking at your results in these areas and also being realistic to say where they're not domestic in certain, where you know that they're, if they're lazy, to a certain degree as a parent, you may identify where they're lazy, but it's more being realistic to say work towards your strength and here's the proof and break it down for them. Anyone else would like to add anything? Um, yeah. I'm just going to add, um, when I was at that age making my choice, I, um, the careers place, wherever it was, um, I did a psychometric test um, and it actually came up with my like top four job descriptions. So where I wasn't able at that age to work out what my strengths were, it came up with a job I'd never heard of and I did it and 20 years later, I love it. So sometimes there are external tools that people can use to support making that decision. If, you know, even though we probably in our heart always know, sometimes all the cultural societal stuff and trying to please our parents is in, in the way and we can't, you know, we can't admit it to ourselves. So sometimes something outside of us can help with that. Yeah. Anyone else want to add anything? Good evening. I just wanted to add to it. Um, I think we've covered it before about uh, in individuals, swadharma and paradharma. Um, I think if 
what you have to do is you have to let your children choose what they want to do. Um, obviously look at their past results on those subjects. And if they enjoy doing something, then they will excel in that much better than you forcing them to do certain subjects. So Deepa, you've introduced the two words now, so you'll have to explain what they are. <laughs> so uh, Swadharma is, uh, it's in your nature. Yeah. Um, so say a person who's an accountant and loves being an accountant, you yeah. can't get him to then do uh, manual work. Yeah. Because? Um, and vice versa, um, you can't give somebody a pile of books if they are a practical person. Yeah. So Swadharma and Paradharma. Those are two Sanskrit words that Deepa has just introduced. Swadharma means goes with your nature. It's your nature. You're choosing something that is, is in line with your nature. Paradharmic activity is something that is against your nature. So if you choose something that's against your nature, it's much more difficult to be successful in that. You may be successful, but you won't enjoy it because it's against your nature. It's like we know when your mom and dad say, you want to be a doctor, you have to be a doctor, but you want to be a mechanic. The doctor is paradharmic to you. So dharmic is mechanical. But you may still become a doctor because your parents have said so. But you, you, you hate every day you're, you're, you're you know, working. That's, so, so therefore with your children, you need to be able to assess their nature if they're not able to. Whatever swadharmic for them, their nature, you guide them in that way. You may be against what you want them to be, but you have to show them the guidance that they are inclined towards. It may not pay a lot, and it may not be the kind of job that you know parents want their job kid to child to have, but he will enjoy it. And he, you know, um, it will, he'll be successful at it. You know, example J. So that's, that's, the, that's how you assess. But then you need the knowledge to be able to assess your children. If you have no idea, then how can you assess your children? You and me, Sano. Anybody else would like to add anything to that? So it's assessment. It's all to do with assessment. And to assess, you need knowledge. Knowledge that we're studying. It allows you to assess. It gives you the tools to assess. Look within who we are, how we function, what is my nature. And for that, you need knowledge and information. Because you don't know. Anybody else would like to add anything to that? It's constant assessment every day, every week, every month, every year. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, please. I think one important thing to add here is, is that um, with every failure, there is a success. And once you there's no, there's nobody that's always succeeded in everything. So you'll only start to appreciate success if you have failed. 
you know. And the idea is, is that you want to enable your children to be comfortable and confident enough to brush failure off their shoulder and say, okay, I'm not going to be down and put down by this. I'm going to either carry on because I am really passionate about it or this obviously isn't for me and think about something else. So even to come to the conclusion that this isn't for me, you need understanding and knowledge and be objective in life to say, okay, I tried this, it's not for me. What, can, what else can I try that is me? Whatever that may be. We need every kind of human being in this world to do every kind of job. Not everyone can just be the highest paying job. Well, any other clarifications, any other questions, any other topics anybody would like to discuss? Based on Sunday's class or anything previous? Yeah, Tamish. We talked about timings mm -hmm. before. Yeah. Who designed them timings? And who actually worked it out? Well, it wasn't me. I, I understand that, but someone did. Someone made up these rules. Who was yeah. it? Or Who do you think? Okay, guys, it's a very good question. Very good question. Let's talk about that. Who? Just now, I can see you now. Before I can only see your eyes. Sorry. <laughs> it's all these gurus who were self-realized. Gurus, self-realized. Okay, why? Why did? How did they discover that? Because they self-analyzed. If they sat there and thought about it, and they worked out that this is the time when I'm the most content. They were able to work that out that between four and six that's when most human beings are then content yeah. anybody else would like to add she's absolutely right Jashnavin, by the way anybody else would like to add anything to that you see um these gurus they wanted to find out the purpose of life so they sat in a cave thousands of years ago meditating that that is looking within when you look within, you discover yourself, how you are, how you function, what makes you tick. So they would have then discovered that in the morning they seem to be more focused. They seem to be going into a deeper state of meditation. There's less agitation, mental agitations in the morning. They're having a better spiritual experience in the morning. So they said, okay, this this thing, this and this time. It's the best time to meditate because I'm getting the most deepest meditation result. Then they realize maybe between six, I'm making this up by the way, yeah, but between six and four, they might find that the meditation isn't deep. There's all a lot of mental agitations. There's all the work they need to do. Maybe they feel, okay, let's do that. Because the mind is saying, I need to do this. I need to make my breakfast. I need to whatever I have to do sitting in a cave. So they may find that that time is more suitable for that. And in the evening, they found that they couldn't work, they couldn't meditate. They felt that the mind's going into places it shouldn't go. So they go back in the cave and sit down and start <laughs> trying to bring it back in again. 
So that's the only thing I can think of. It's basically they've gone within and discovered, they analyzed the human being, how we function. And that's when they would have discovered it. Shilohan. I think that they must have got that period of time is because it's very tra tranquil. It's not daylight, it's not hot, it's not cold. Uh, everybody are not up at the same time. You don't need to be rushing to a destination because at that time, we didn't have light facilities. So they had to wait for daylight to appear so you can do your day-to-day -day living. So mm. that period of time was the best period of time where they could just sit down and focus on them and be within themselves and be conscious because at that period of time, you can only hear birds chirping. Even other, most of the animals are, are sleeping. So if you get up like this, this week I got up at four and I just heard birds. They were the only ones that were chirping or they were just waking up. In the vicinity, only Shila Ben and the birds were awake. So therefore, she can achieve whatever she wants to achieve. No <laughs> agitations, no disturbances. That's why between four and six, you'll find you're the only one up in the house. No kids running around. That's very true. Nobody's making a noise. <laughs> this is it. So therefore, it's the best time to do these things, isn't it, really? No mental agitations. Nobody's in your space. <laughs> Perfect. Your time zone. <laughs> so you see, that's what, I mean, you know, that, that is, we may laugh about it, but that is actually conducive to what you're trying to achieve. Besides the fact that inside within you the mind is not actually mind is still sleeping the intellect is awake and you're studying intellectual studies so you're going to absorb it more because the mind isn't coming in saying, what are you doing make me a cup of tea go and do this go and do that mind's not saying oh what do i have to do today mind is still asleep so therefore you have the clarity of thought and the fact that no one else is awake there's no disturbances so you have to try it and then you'll realize. In fact, if you try studying between five and six and see how you absorb it, and then you try any time after six, even or after seven, you'll find your mind is everywhere. Oh, I've got to bring this person, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to cook this, I've got to prep the veg, whatever it is, your mind will go to everything else. It's just natural. This is how we are made up. And the thing is, even if you fly from this country to another country and there's a time difference, it still doesn't matter. Between that period of time, it will still, your mind will still be the same. Uh, intellect will be available to you. Sattvic time. Time zones don't come into play. But if a person, let's say, works nights, his time would be different, wouldn't he? Yeah. Otherwise, he would be awake at four o'clock anyway, because he's working. So does his Saturday time would be at four in the evening? Nope, it'll still be the same. It'll still be the same. No. It doesn't matter. That's only if he realizes it, that I'm awake while I'm working and I make the most of absorbing what I need to absorb at that period of time. Sometimes you don't really physically need to be 
reading or because you're working, you can mentally, you can still calm yourself down and try and get in tune with that period of time. You're more contemplative at that time. Um, scriptures that we're studying, Bhagavad Gita scriptures, I mean, what we're studying is the Bhagavad Gita, but diluted in a simpler form. Um, for, to be able to understand it and the deeper meaning of it, um, your mind, you need that um, clarity and that you can only have at that time of the morning. Not that you can't read it any other time, you can, but you won't absorb and you won't get the clarity as you would at that time of the morning. It would be less, it would be more effortless to get the clarity. It's like um, when in the ashram, um, after every topic we have to do an exam. Yeah? Every, after every verse in the Bhagavad Gita, we have to do an exam. Now, if you do that exam in the morning between four and six, it takes little time. You do it any other time, you're thinking, what do I write? How do I write this? You know, one verse which takes 10 minutes in the morning could take me an hour. Because mine, the clarity is not there. <laughs> then you just say, okay, you know what, I'll leave it till the morning. So that's what happens. You have to experience it, you have to try it yourself. So anything you want to do, if you're doing that morning, the solution will come to you. Any problems you're having at work, home, any personal problems, anything you want to think about, leave it till that morning, the solution will come to you. Any other clarifications? Damesh, does that answer your question? I don't know who wrote it, who decided. But whoever did, it works. Just trying to find out where it's coming from, that's all. It would, like I said, it would have to be I someone who... Would, something blindly, that's all. Hmm? Don't want to follow something blindly. No. no, but you know what? There's a simple solution to that, so that you're not following blindly. You try it out and experiment and see if it is true or not. You try it out and tell, then you can tell us, yes, it is true or it isn't. Because only you, anyone can say anything, unless you try it and experience and experience it. Only then you can. Um, you sh you're absolutely right. You shouldn't accept anything blindly. Nothing at all. So you have to try it. All of you, don't accept anything. Say. Only if it makes sense. But you have to say, I thought about it and it didn't make sense. You can't just say that I don't agree without thinking about it. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's, the, that's the difference. Any other topics? Anybody have any questions? Uh, did everyone receive that personality chart? Yeah. So, so please don't take it too seriously. You know, it's just a guidance for you to have a look at and think, where am I in this? What are my thoughts? Where do I stand? You know? And uh, after this class, I'll share something else which Joshna Ben sent me, uh, which is um, 
another perspective to what we've discussed, um, I think the Scottish gentleman um, wrote about the Gunas yeah, in a more practical sense. Um, so she forwarded it to me um, and uh, I'm, I said I will share it with the class after this session. Yeah. So you can all have a little read on that, which explains the Gunas in a different perspective. And you'll find it's everything we've discussed, but uh, a different angle. But uh, like I said, don't take the personality chart too seriously. It's just some yardstick guidance. Anything else that anyone would like to talk about? Sittal has to ask one. Some Sittal would like to ask the group something. <laughs> so I just wanted to possibly I don't probably put this spanner in the works here. We've been studying. I've been studying for a long time now, and every single book I read and I suppose session, we've always been told that our purpose as a human being is to become self-realized and seek the self. But if we're thinking about what we've just covered in a sense of 24 hours in a clock, only having two hours of sattvic time, the rest 22 hours are almost against us. We have a mind that's being described as being turbulent, stubborn, changing like the wind and unfocused, something that is so difficult to control. And we have five senses and animals have, with one strong sense have got into trouble. So we have almost everything going against us, it seems. And we have this intellect that is, takes a lifetime or two or three to develop within two hours four and six. And I'm thinking, I don't know whether the sole purpose is to gain the self or is it just to become the best human being that I can become and leave the rest to God. Because if there's a cause and effect, which I believe there is, if I put in the right cause, the effect will take care of itself. So what do the groups say to you? What does the group think about that? Am I totally wrong, Ravi? Is she totally mad? Have I learned nothing <laughs> all these years? Ravi, I'm taking a break. I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I, I was looking at this as one lifetime motion. I, I got introduced to this when I was about 46, so four, you know, 46, so yeah, four years now. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I had to calculate that one. Um, maths is not my good strength, as you could gather. So, um, but at each time, it, 
yes, you say two hours in the morning, but you're applying what you read or what you learn through the rest of your day. So you are developing as you go. And then um, you're applying it. So gradually, even within the four years, I've seen a lot of change and a lot of awareness within myself. So I'm just giving you my personal journey. Also, I think what was answered was that don't look at this as achieving it within one lifetime. As long as you've started now and you know, when you believe there's a, your Atma is consistent and it's only your body or the vehicle that relinquishes, then you carry on and you just better yourself and you, you start becoming more happy or more content as you go out as you, you know, go through that journey. So, yeah, to a certain degree, if you narrow it down to two hours, I first of all thought it was that, and then the rest of the day, but you, as I said, you apply it as you go every day, every, you know, within the 24 hours, seven days a week or whatever, and each step is closer to identifying yourself and not limiting yourself to the so-called lifetime, because, yeah, as we know, we're all going to go some, you know, this vehicle is going to you know, relinquish one day, but we don't know when. So we might as well just keep going on that journey without thinking of when it's going to end. No, it's not about giving up, but I just think about the purpose. You know, is the purpose really that, or is it just to become the best human being that I can become? You think no, you both. Hi, Anthony. I just want to say what uh, Shital is saying is actually quite right. Um, when we study the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavad Gita is actually an instruction manual on how to live life, but it's written from a self-realized perspective. Uh, so therefore, sometimes we feel that self-realization is the goal that we should all be going to. And I think Shittle's quite right there, that it may not be the goal that we should all actually go to. If, as she said correctly, that, you know, it's just to make yourself as a better human being through your own self-efforts and through the knowledge, then I think that's the, everyone has an individual goal that they want to achieve. It doesn't always have to be self-realization. Because the number of people who can become self-realized, as Swamiji says, are very, very, very few. Because the enormous amount of effort that is required to become self-realized. And for what Ravi said is also actually true that, you know, people will think about it like, well, can I get it in this lifetime? Do I have to go through many lifetimes? Depends if you're an optimist or if you're a pessimist. Deep, deep question on a Wednesday evening. <laughs> it is. A session at 4 a.m. to answer that question. <laughs> it, it is a real hornet's nest, uh, uh, Sipel. You, you, you see, what it is, is that, first of all, the golden rule, do not be results-orientated. Yeah? Do not be results-orientated. The guidance in the Bhagavad Gita is to guide you to be helped, how to live your life in the best possible way, so you get peace, you get happiness, and everything that you wish for, you can gain. 
you can tackle any issues you have in life with the guidance of the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. So that's what it teaches you. Now, it, it's stating that the goal is this for every human being. With that in mind, you act. And the rewards are all there. You may feel, I don't want to reach that goal. I'm happy the way I am. And the time will come when you will reach that goal. So don't be result-oriented. Just follow the path. It's like you're on Brent Cross Roundabout. You're going round and round and round. You want to go to Leicester, but you don't know which exit to take. Yeah. Then you find M1, find there, Leicester. You take it. Now, it doesn't matter if you're on a push bike, you're walking, or you're in a car. Eventually, you will get there. But you know, you have peace of mind that I'm on the right road. So the goal is going to come sooner or later. Most people don't even know the right way, the right path. You see you're on the right path. And you should be content and happy about that. And now, how fast will you get to the goal, to Leicester, to your Panipuri? It depends on how much effort you put in there. Put in how much effort you put to go on, get to that goal. That's down to you. Deepa. So yeah, I just wanted to add that it's all, it's about the journey rather than the destination. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is what I was saying, that while you're on the journey, you may not even want to get to the cold because you've, you've got so much peace and happiness. You know? But you're following the guidance, um, the philosophy. And this is a philosophy, by the way. Yeah? It's a philosophy of how to live a happy life, which is, which is the underlying reason that everyone performs any action, is happiness. Anybody here who doesn't want happiness? Because you're in the wrong class. <laughs> so everyone's reason is happiness in one form or the other. Anybody would like to add anything to that? So the goal will come. When you're ready, it will come. Just concentrate on the act, right action. And one key measurement, unselfishness. The more unselfish you are, that's how you develop. Then you know you're developing. Level of, level of selfishness. One, that's one marker you can rely on. We've got to do the Bhagavad Gita still, by the way. So Anikapada, does that mean we have many goals? Because if you reach it, if you reach the goal, it's like a dead end, right? Which goal? So whatever goal you have, it's like you kick a ball, you, you, you're in a goalpost, and then it's the next goal. So it depends what goal or what um, hurdle you've come across, and then it's the next hurdle that you want to go to the higher. So there are many goals to, to this. It will take a long time. Yeah, absolutely. So what is the ultimate goal? This is why, that's why they've got the ultimate goal. See? The ultimate goal is that, reach the state of moksha, self-realization, whatever you want to call it, uh, it doesn't matter. But that's the ultimate state, the ultimate goal. And once you can go there, then it doesn't matter. There is no goal beyond that. 
So all the hurdles in between, if you're going the right way, then will lead you to the ultimate goal. You win a million pounds, not bad. Yeah. Whatever happens in life, I don't want that until I get to that goal. These are all the hurdles, but we fall. Wow, I've got this. You forget the goal because you're content where you are now. Something's happened, you know, you've achieved something. Yeah, you forget the final goal. So how focused are you to get to that goal? Life throws things at you and you become content with it. There's a story. I don't think I've got enough time to tell that story right now. Andy, uncle. <laughs> but there's a story that um, highlights that, actually. Anybody who has any other clarifications, any questions? No? Okay. So I'll, we've got five minutes, so I'll quickly tell you the story. So there's a king. Okay, he's got a kingdom. He's got no um, benefactors, no, ch no children. So he tells all his people in his city that I have no one to pass my kingdom to. So I've made a decision. I'm going to pass it to one of you, fellow citizens. And how we will choose is that we will have a big mela, a big fair in the kingdom. And in that fair, I will be hiding somewhere. Whoever finds me will become the next king. Yeah, everyone with me? We'll have a fair, big fair, um, and whoever can find where I'm hiding, they will become the next king. He, they will be my, will um, receive my kingdom. So everyone is excited. Yep, I'm going to find the king. I'm going to find the king. I know where he'll be hiding. Yep, we're going to um, win this. So they all come to the fair. What happens in a fair? What's, what's, what's in a fair? What do we have in a fair? And that, attractions. What, attractions, yes, exactly. <laughs> you, you know that shooting game and you have throwing that ball and you know all sorts of different attractions. You've got the merry-go-rounds, you've got everything. So people are going into the fair. What's happening? They go in all with the idea that I'm going to look for the king. So I can be the next king. What happens? Deepa, what happens? They get distracted with all the games and everything. So no one's looking for the king. Exactly. Everyone gets distracted with the attractions. I want to do this. I want to go on there. I want to eat this gulfi. I want to eat that, whatever. Yeah, that's what everyone gets. One, one boy, one young boy focused. He says, no, I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to find the king. He looks everywhere. People, the side, the attractions are saying, come here, try this, play this game. And by the way, all of, everything's free. Yeah. But the boy says, no, my focus is to find the king, find the king. So everyone gets distracted, but he carries on. Yeah, and he's looking everywhere. Then in a church, a temple at the far end of the city, there's a temple. He goes in there. He sits outside because he's tired, and then he decides to go in because it's much cooler inside than it's outside. And there he sees someone praying, which happens to be the king. And only himself and the king are in the temple. Everyone else is distracted. So 
how focused are you to get to the goal? At every distraction, attraction, you're going to fall over, then that's where you are. So this is how the world is. Is your goal to become self? Are you willing to give up everything, go in a cave and meditate for the rest of your life? You're not, yeah? And I don't expect anyone to be, but this is how it is. This is our journey. The world is a, world is a very attractive place. We have five senses which are uh, drawn to the world automatically. This is our makeup. We're drawn to the world with our five senses. So it's a lot of effort, a lot of struggle to get to that goal. So hopefully that uh, highlights what Shilavan said. Yes, Shilavan? Does that highlight what you asked? Yeah, good. Excellent. Great. Okay, well, it's uh, 8.30. Does anybody else have anything else to say? So quick um, um, information on Sunday's class. We're starting a new chapter, chapter nine, the human composition. Now, really important for people who've joined us recently. Um, in the beginning of this uh, chapter, we discussed the basic composition of a human being and the world. Now, um, people who have missed the earlier books, it's a good time to, um, I will dilute it a little bit so that um, you can understand it more easier um, than the depth fits in here. But um, it covers a lot of the basic uh, material which we covered in the earlier book. So uh, please tune in on Sunday because um, it really helped you uh, to understand this subject better. For example, Shilabin Sonal was asking about how do we assess, etc. Well, th that Sunday class, this Sunday's class, will give the basic constitution of a human being, what makes, they tick, what makes them tick, and how we function. So um, try and join us so that um, you have a better idea. Are we using this book? No, we're using the Vedanta Treatise, which is a different book. But um, everything is in the Bhagavad Gita, by the way. But this is a diluted version of Bhagavad Gita. But okay. it's difficult. I will to have it somewhere. Okay. Yeah, it's difficult to navigate the uh, 702 verses in the Bhagavad Gita. To I can't tell you which verse it is that we're covering. Uh, okay. okay. All right, everyone. So yeah. I'm going to share this with you in a minute. What Joshnavin shared with me, which will help you with last Sunday's class, and we'll see you on Sunday.